the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Can you see her, this woman that we heard about in the Gospels? Can you see her? She's pulling out the drawers in the house and flipping the clothes all around. She's opening the cabinets and picking up the tops of the pots and looking inside them. Can you see her? She's looking so hard that she's starting to get warm and starting to sweat a little bit. She's a little frantic because she can't find this thing that is precious. Maybe I can see her so well because sometimes I think I am her, particularly in the morning on my way to work when I can't find my keys. Anybody relate to that? So she ties her hair back and she keeps going and she's digging and now she's moving furniture and rolling up the sides of the carpet and sweeping underneath and lighting a lamp and doing everything she can possibly do to find this coin. And why? It's just a coin, right? There are many others. I mean, the text tells us she has 10 of them. Losing one of them can't be bad, right? It's just a coin, after all. And still, she drops everything she's doing, and she can't focus, really, on anything else because she's pulling the house apart looking for this coin. Now, it could be that this 10-coin set, this sort of whole 10, was a gift. It could be an inheritance. It could just be that 10 is a round number, and she likes it a lot. But regardless, she wants all 10, and she noticed that the one is missing, and she's doing everything she can to find it. Everything. Because the whole can't be whole unless all of the pieces are there. There are lots of ways to be lost, aren't there? I actually really like just getting in the car and driving and driving and driving until I don't know where I am anymore. I say that I'm getting lost, but I'm not really, because none of us is ever lost if we have a smartphone. It's cheating. Our phone always knows where we are, and it can always take us. To be really lost is actually much scarier than that. It's not an adventure, particularly if we're lost in a, in a foreign country or in a foreign place where we don't have the resources that we need to sort of solve the problem and get back to where we need to go. But there's more lost, too. It's not just about the location, right? We can be spiritually lost, existentially lost. And then there's the loss that we experience that comes to us, which is different than sort of getting lost. And that's the loss of something we love, like this coin this woman loves, or someone we, we don't see anymore. It's the loss of purpose, of direction, of dreams, of connection, of relationship. Sometimes it's the loss of love. And so when we lose those things or when we lose our way, we spend time, like this woman, looking for what we've lost, looking to find some kind of restoration, looking to find that connection again, with the thing or the person that we're missing. And hopefully, if it's something important, unlike me looking for my keys, that loss doesn't feel like a waste of time, but rather feels like a, a hope that restoration might be possible. What's interesting about these two stories that Jesus tells the Pharisees this morning is that they are stories about lostness which I know it's not really a word, but I've just made it one. These are parables about lostness, about being lost, 
And they're parables about search, about what it means to search, about the time spent in search. But what's interesting about these two stories is that they're not about the sin. They're not about the wrong turn. They're not about how we got lost or how we lost the thing. It's about being lost and being found. So we have these two stories where we're intended to find God in the woman who stops what she's doing and looks for this thing precious, and God in the much more commonly talked about parable about the shepherd who goes looking for the one. This shepherd looks at the whole flock, and the 99 are there. They're all tucked in for the night. They're nice and safe. And the shepherd is unhappy because the one is missing. And he risks his own life. He leaves the safe fold, goes out on the side of the mountain, risks the cliffs in the dark, risks wolves in the dark in order to find the one. And there's nowhere in the text, at least I didn't hear it when Don read it, there's nowhere in the text where it says, well, all the sheep were out eating, and the shepherd tried to bring them in, and Old Blue was not paying attention. He was just eating, and he got distracted. And over the sound of his own chomping, maybe the pretty stream running by, he didn't hear the shepherd. Shame for the sheep. We're not focused on what the sheep did to get lost. We're not talking about the sin itself. We're not talking about the misstep. The shepherd doesn't go and say, you stupid sheep, why did you do this? Instead, the shepherd finds the one, picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and takes it home so that the flock might be whole again. So too, there's no place in the gospel where it said that that one coin wasn't shiny enough anymore. And so when the woman counted the ten the last time, the dull one, the boring one, got lost in the junk on the kitchen table. No one's blaming the coin. No one's blaming the sheep. These stories are about being lost and the love of God that refuses to let us stay lost, the love that comes to find us. The good news of these stories are that <laughs> we can't actually ever be so lost that God won't come get us. And as I said, there's lots of ways to be lost. But there's no lostness that is so lost that God will look at that and say, no thanks, you're good there. <laughs> there's no place we can go, nothing we can do where God won't come and get us. And in these stories, we see, in particular in the story of the shepherd, this is what God does in Jesus Christ. God looks at all of creation, notices that the flock isn't whole, notices that there are one, two, three, many of us missing from the people of God, and sends Jesus into the world, into the wilderness, to risk the cliffs and the darkness and the wolves, to take on flesh and live with us, die with us, so that we might be carried home. The second piece that I love about this passage is actually the first bit, and it's, it's, <laughs> the Pharisees are grumbling, right? The text tells us the Pharisees are grumbling about the fact that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners who, by all accounts, are the outcasts of the day, 
And I can almost hear them sort of say, you know, why is he eating with them? Why would he do that? He certainly can't eat with them and with us at the same time, because we won't share that time with them. So why is he doing that? What a waste of time. And it's clear in these stories, I think, that Jesus doesn't think the time spent in search is a waste. Jesus thinks the time spent in search to go and find the one who's lost is absolutely worth it. And so the last piece that is, that is really important about these stories is that we can't get so lost that God won't come get us. So I invite you this morning, as you consider these stories, one that certainly is very familiar, the shepherd and the sheep, and one that I think is a little less familiar to us, the woman who sort of tears her house apart to look for the coin, both of them images of God. They're inviting us to notice that each one of you is precious to God. And each one of you is part of the larger flock and part of the larger whole. And that we, the people of God, we the church, we this community can't be whole without everyone. And I think it's an invitation to consider the places in our own life where we are lost and where we are experiencing loss. And to remember that the thing that holds these stories together is the finding. It's the act of finding that God's love actually achieves. And that is that when the shepherd gets close to the sheep, the sheep doesn't appear to run away anymore. The sheep doesn't appear to kick the shepherd in the face. The sheep instead is willing, willing to be lifted up, willing to be brought home to be part of the whole flock. Now, the coin obviously doesn't have so much personal liberty as to make those decisions for itself, but the idea is the same, that God will stop what God is doing, that nothing else will be more important, that there is no distance too far, no sin too great, to go and find you and bring you home. But what's true for us today, too, as we think about the kickoff of this new year, as we think about the beginning of school years and the beginning of the program year and sort of the back-to-normal routine, is that God will find us faster if we wait, if we choose it, if we choose to be in a community like this one, if we choose to be part of the inheritance, the work that God is doing in a, in a church, in a Christian community, will find us faster and bring us sooner if we will let ourselves be found. And the best way to do that is to choose to be part of the whole, to be part of the flock, to be part of the inheritance, to let God pick you up and lift you up and lead you away from the lost into what is abundant and joyful. So I hope that as we begin this new year together, you will choose to be found here. That you will choose to be part of this whole, part of this flock, part of this inheritance, part of this work that God is doing in our 
community here and outside our walls. I hope as you do that, you will remember that you are precious in the sight of God and that you bring something special to the whole. And that in fact, we cannot be whole without you. And more than anything, remember that no matter where you go or what you do, God will always come to you, will always find you. And if you will submit to being found and lifted up, will put you on high shoulders and bring you home. Amen.